Hello everyone and welcome to this first episode of our Corporate Wellbeing Podcast at HCA Healthcare UK. In this mini-series, we will be discussing neurodiversity and inviting a range of experts to give us more insight into the topic. We are hearing more and more conversations taking place within workplaces about neurodiversity and employers are starting to understand about how having a neurodivergent workforce can benefit them. In this first episode, we will explore what we mean by neurodiversity, some of the common forms, how people can recognise the signs and the psychological impact of receiving a diagnosis. I'm really pleased to be joined by Christine Tanner, psychologist at HCA Healthcare UK. Christine, welcome. Please, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do? Hi, thank you. Um, Yes, I'm a lead psychologist at um, HCA and I uh, work with a group of psychologists, but I also work with a lot of patients that um, come for for therapy. Um, So I have an interest in neurodiversity um, and um, I come across a lot of patients that come sometimes puzzled about neurodiversity. I also work with different organisations that are trying to increase their understanding of neurodiversity. Great. So let's start by setting the scene. What do we mean by neurodiversity? Okay, well, neurodiversity is basically an umbrella term covering a number of neurodevelopmental areas. Um, it's, it's really considered a way of looking at how you characterise different ways of thinking, different ways of learning, processing and behaving. <clears throat> and you may have heard of a few of them like dyslexia, autism, dyspraxia, ADHD, and we'll go into that in a bit more detail later on. Um, the idea about neurodiversity is that for some people, it gives you that that encouragement that the the brain actually the differences are normal um and we shouldn't be looking at things as abnormal it's um it's just simply variations of the human brain and the way that we work with that um one of the things i think is really important here is to talk about how we reduce stigma about it and by understanding it we can benefit uh, from the thinking and learning about the differences uh, the way people are um, globally, there's about 10% people that are dyslexic, about 5% dyspraxic, about 4% have ADHD and 1% to 2% have or, um, autism. And again, they, I'm just reading those out, but we'll go into those in a bit more detail. And I know there's a lot of acronyms that are used here. So <clears throat> one thing that, again, I'd like to point out here is it's important we start thinking about this. Um, we, in the past, it's been looked at as a medical model and we're now pushing forward to looking at this as a social model instead. So again, this is about differences and it's not medicalised. It's just the way people think. And that's it. So you mentioned some interesting statistics there, actually. So that leads me to wonder, can neurodiversity be developed or are you born with it? Okay, well, neurodiversity falls into three categories. Okay, so that's applied neurodiversity, clinical neurodiversity and acquired neurodiversity. And it's important to to remember here that over a period of somebody's life, they may experience multiple conditions and there can be overlaps between these categories as well. And there's a vast difference in uh, the difference in the um, types of uh, neurodiversity. So some people can have you probably hardly notice and some people you would notice a lot. So I just want to put that out there as well. So if I explain a little bit more about the types of neurodiversity, so applied neurodiversity, 
And these include um, when people is uh, people are born with neurodiversity and it's not considered to be there for a health condition. And it uh, usually applied neurodiversity re refers to difficulties in the application of skills, motor skills, control, number concepts, reading. So that's like dyslexia, dyscalculia, dyspraxia. And again, I'll talk about those in a bit more depth in a minute. Then there's clinical neurodiversity. <clears throat> and this includes neurological differences where an individual is born with them, but in some ways they can be considered health conditions. So clinical diverse, neurodiversity relates to differences in areas such as communication, social skills and behaviour. And for this, we can be talking about ADHD, autism uh, and uh, for some people, intellectual disabilities. It could be concerned with like thinking and learning skills. And you can include in there Tourette syndrome as well, which affects the nervous system. Um, and then thirdly, there's acquired neurodiversity, which I think people are less aware of. And that includes neurological differences that can develop as part of a health condition or injury. And these can relate to uh, illnesses or things like um, brain injury. Um, they can come and they can go. Uh, and it can be when somebody's health is deteriorating. So this could be strokes, Parkinson's disease, some cancer treatments can actually cause this as well and can have an effect. <clears throat> and this can also be considered as something that's very temporary or something that's there for a long term. So you can almost talk about somebody who's got uh, a very deep depression uh, can be considered that they're within this area that has an effect on their cognitive abilities. Great. So, I mean, it's very much an umbrella term for lots of different conditions then so um how would you how could somebody maybe recognize associated signs of the more common conditions okay well again let me add that caveat in that this is on a sliding scale uh, and you could also have more than one category here okay <clears throat> so if we talk about first of all adhd and that stands for attention deficient hyperactivity disorder uh, it used to be called ADD as well, which is a attention deficiency disorder, but that term's not really used anymore. <clears throat> there's really three types of ADHD. So there's the hyperactive part of it, where people are always moving around and fidgety. The inattentive part, which is where people often will daydream <clears throat> and can't concentrate. Or there's a mix, which is both presentations as well. Um, so you can you can be sometimes you can be very hyperactive, other times you're sitting very still. And the main characteristics for people with ADHD is, again, this fidgety, uh, they can't sit still, they can, they have trouble focusing, they may have rapid speech, easily distracted, or they just lose sight of time completely. But on the other hand, people with ADHD are very quick thinking, they're very good under pressure, they can multitask and they can hyper focus in on, on tasks and projects. Um, <clears throat> with people who have autism, which is also known as autistic spectrum disorder. Again, people can be very mildly or very severely affected. And you can split this into people that are visual thinkers, verbal, logical thinkers. Some people are very musical or they are mathematical thinkers as well. Um, the main characteristics of people that are autistic is sometimes they can be very rigid, staying on one project, they're very routine driven. Sometimes there can be communication difficulties and sometimes there can be 
um, they can be very um, stimulated by uh, noise or by um, anything that's around them, bright lights, etc. <clears throat> People with um, ASD, with this autistic um, disorder, they, there is another tendency for some people, and only some, to use um, a process called stimming that you, you may see in people. And, and it's, it's a, a shortened from a medical term for self-stimulatory behaviours. That's a bit of a mouthful, I know. And for some people, that's like hair, hair toiling, foot tapping. And again, that's sensitivity to noise or lights. And I think some people think that's done under us, uh, people are under duress. But a lot of the time it's done as a, like a comforter thing to people. And we all sit and have these habits of maybe twiddling our hair or, you know, um, being fidgety when we're concentrating. So it's uh, important to know, again, it can be just part of the normal pattern of how we all behave. Um, but to go back to the, the strengths of people that have um, um, autism, they can be very sensitive, they can be very organised, very logical people, very factual um, and very clear uh, and non-judgmental as well. So let me move on to dyslexia. Um, and that is a specific learning disability. And if you're dyslexic, it means often you'll have problems in your ability, mainly for reading and writing. And sometimes that can be also verbal communication. So that means that obviously you have to adjust with all those things. Um, but people that have uh, dyslexia can be very visual. They're very good usually at spatial perception. They see the big picture of things rather than details. And they're very good at problem solving and pattern recognition. So if I move on to dyspraxia, dyspraxia is a coordination disorder. And again, it varies considerably. It can mean people can have problems with movement or with spatial awareness. They, though, are very creative, original thinkers, good with problem solving, very caring and determined and hardworking people. Just to put a couple more in, there's dyscalculia, which is often known as maths dyslexia. And that means for some people they have difficulty with numbers or estimating um, numbers, but they again are very strategic problem solvers, very practical, often very artistic and creative. Um, another one, dysgraphia, is a learning difficulty that means people have trouble with writing, with spelling, with typing. So they could have messy handwriting, difficulty spelling. But again, these are people that have uh, very creative, very good at problem solving and very good memories as well. So that's just giving you a really quick run through of a few. No, that's really, really helpful. And I imagine some of our listeners are maybe starting to recognise some of these signs, either in themselves or people that they know. So I wonder, is late diagnosis common in adults? Yes, it is, actually. Um, about 20% of people who are autistic um, are considered to be diagnosed as their adults. There's no uh, national figures about, um, you know, diagnosis, but that's the estimation. It's about 20% that get a late diagnosis. Often that can be when um, you found one of your children have, um, you know, um, uh, uh, autism. Uh, and then it starts, the penny starts to drop that you actually uh, act in the same way. Um, and, you know, with ADHD, about 75% of, of adults who have ADHD didn't know they had it until 
you know, they went maybe to get tested later in life. So, yes, late diagnosis is very common in adults. Um, girls can get uh, misdiagnosed or have a late diagnosis because they come across as a lot more sociable often and they will mask a lot better than, than boys do as well. So um, it's it's uh, research has often been done in the past on on sort of from a gender perspective with boys as well. So girls then get included in that. But that's slowly changing and more girls are more likely to get a diagnosis. Um, but again, it's it's amazing, you know, in this day and age that we are still seeing people coming through that are puzzled uh, by themselves or people in their family. And as I said, then the penny drops and we can move forward with that and help them. Absolutely. And, and hopefully um, this is the first step to kind of raising um, awareness uh, of, of neurodiversity. So thinking about somebody who's received a diagnosis um, recently, what might the psychological impact of that diagnosis be? OK, for, for a lot of people, uh, it's relief that they can now understand themselves and understand the world in a, in a different way. For a lot of people, it's been exhausting to use this technique called camouflaging or masking. So they've tried to fit in all the time and that is exhausting so it's a relief to get a diagnosis so at that stage for a lot of people they can then start to understand themselves a lot better and embrace the differences they have with uh, a newfound understanding and clarity and insight and also for people around them that they can you know they can tell people um, people feel that that if in the past if they've been misunderstood now they have this relief about it it leads to a positive shift about people and their own framework of themselves uh, and in the past particularly as children they may have been told they've been difficult or they're awkward or they're not trying hard enough so as I said it all falls into place and they can go forward but again people can be worried still because there is stigma still out there about neurodiversity uh, and so some people are then put in this position do I really you know do I do I tell other people that I'm now seen as neurodiverse. So there are lots of ways that you know you can look at this. For most people, it's a, it's a massive relief and a way to reframe themselves. But for other people, then they need to start thinking about who do I tell and how do I tell them. Great, thank you. And and we will explore more around that in in future episodes with some of our other guests. So to finish uh, this episode. I'm interested to hear your view, Chris, on why it's important for employers to focus more on neurodiversity in the workplace. OK, I think um, the more neurodiverse and the more inclusive a workplace is, the better it, it is. It's better. We've talked about what people who are neurodiverse bring. Um, and, and people are starting to wake up to the fact that having a neurodiverse team brings an awful lot. It, it helps with um, faster problem solving. Innovation happens at a greater rate. Because you have this diverse thinking that's going on, uh, it strengthens the workforce. Uh, and I love a quote I heard from somebody when we talked about, you know, you can have out of the box thinking and creative solutions. And as somebody said, well, I've been told about out of the box thinking, but I've never been in the box. So I think in a different way and I bring that strength with me. 
So bringing a pro-neurodiverse culture means it shows commitment, obviously, to inclusion and diversity. It starts to reduce that stigma that people feel. It means, means that all staff feel far more empowered to disclose um, things, uh, makes them feel safe. It helps with recruitment and retention of staff as well. And it maximises, as I said, this thinking and this innovation and lateral thinking in teams. Um, the other thing, of course, it also improves staff retention by making people aware of this and it improves productivity. And when I talk about productivity, the research has shown that having neurodivergent employees increases the productivity by as nearly 50 percent. So you have companies like Ernest Young, software companies like um, SAP, Microsoft and Hewitt Packard, they're all bringing a lot more neurodivergent people into their into their companies. And I touched before on things like dyslexia. Think of that, people think in pictures, they see data in a different way. They're good at problem solving. People that are autistic, they have this ability to hyper-focus in and concentrate on tasks to great depth. They bring routine and structure in, and this, as I said, the attention to detail. People with dyspraxia are highly motivated, very empathetic, and a sense of connection with others, as well as being strategic thinkers. So, uh, and people with ADHD, they're hyper-focused, they're resilient. So you can imagine that this brings a lot of positivity into a workforce. One thing I need to just touch on there is obviously you need to look at recruitment and how you recruit people um, and make that interview process and the recruitment uh, process um, as neurodiverse friendly as possible. But if you don't, you're missing out on um, a, a huge part of a, you know, a good team there. Great. Thank you so much, Christine. That was a really, really interesting introduction to neurodiversity. Um, so in the next episode, we'll be speaking to Dr. Karen Lindell, Occupational Health Medical Director, and we'll be discussing neurodiversity in the workplace in more detail. Thanks again, Christine. Great to have you. Thank you very much.